Welcome to Swift Unscripted, a podcast that gives you the opportunity to hear inside stories and be a part of the conversation with education leaders who are transforming schools to benefit each and every student, their families, and ultimately the communities in which they live. Well, hey everyone, I am Dr. Amy Jablonski and I am with the Swift Center and I am excited today to have on this podcast, Principal Trish Cook from North Carolina who is going to be talking with us about her implementation journey with her elementary school on implementation of restorative practices, specifically around community building circles. Now, Trish has a long history, don't want to call out her age here, but a long history in education. I started off as lateral entry high school teacher, became driven to learn more about education, worked her way into the assistant principalship through a fellows program. So then she became even more interested in behavior and was able to work at the state level in North Carolina as a positive behavior intervention and support consultant and supported an entire region of North Carolina and then took a principalship where she is now at an elementary school. So we're going to listen to her journey about these implementations of specifically community building circles. And just for our listeners to know community building circles is one thread of restorative practices, meaning that it's a way that to build strong relationships, to have students feel a sense of belonging, and to allow for a building to transform its culture to a way where we value students' voice, and we value equity, and we start challenging some power dynamics within the classroom to build a safe space for students and staff to talk about difficult things as well as then be able to dive right into academics. So here we have Trish Cook, looking forward to chatting with you today and thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Amy, and I appreciate you having me on this podcast. I'm very excited um, to share our story. Well, I'm excited to hear your story of implementation. So if I remember correctly, you know, when you and I've been chatting, it hasn't been that you made these great changes about academic per se. It was really around this relationship building, around restoring relationships of students and staff with students and parents. And then what made you launch into this idea of restorative practices, specifically first around implementation of circles school-wide? I came to the school in February, February 13th, actually. So most of the year had already gone by. But when I got to the school, you know, obviously I met with staff and individually and as a collective group and really tried to find out what is it that they needed? You know, what concerns they've had, what it was that really needed immediate attention. And by far and large, it was, our school is just very negative, right? It's just a negative air about us and our students don't behave. Our discipline data, you know, out the roof. And, you know, and we know too that if students aren't in the classroom, they're not learning. So as the discipline data kept going up, obviously the achievement data was not improving, if not getting worse. And like over the past 10 years, at least, you know, it, had, it was stagnant around between 30 and 47% proficient. Mm. That was their concern. Like, we don't know what to do, but we just know we don't like it this way. And so they had implemented PBIS in bits and pieces. And so obviously if you don't implement with fidelity, it's not going to work, right? right? And so a lot of the staff perceptions were, well, I tried this. I did this for two weeks and it doesn't work. You know, you had to look at the practices, but then also the beliefs around it. Obviously changing the mindsets are going to help support that fidelity implementation, right? Because I could even do a reading intervention and if I don't believe in it, it's not really going to work. 
or I'm not going to implement it with fidelity because I don't believe in it. From February to June, I really spent time relaunching PBIS, you know, working with the PBIS team, making sure it had good representation from the staff members, and then kind of had to kick back for the staff and just do some basic training, you know, on PBIS and what are the components and what makes it successful and help them understand the why behind that as well. And so I did some trainings during the staff meetings. We visualized and wrote down what is our dream school going to look like, all the characteristics. And it was interesting that we're brainstorming all the characteristics of what we wanted our dream school to be. Very little had to do with student achievement. Oh, that's interesting, especially based on what you had said about performing. That's interesting. Overwhelmingly, it was we want our school to be caring. We want our school to be compassionate. We want it to be positive. All of these things that they were telling me, that was the most important thing to them. And I would agree as well, because you have to get that culture or the climate established to be more positive so that we can focus on teaching and learning. And then, you know, a couple of years later, we're going to really be intentional about PLCs, our professional learning communities, and really looking at our core instruction to make sure that, you know, we're being effective. But until we got some of the other stuff simmered down, I call it like the noise, we couldn't. So you really launched, it sounds like, that beginning part of your principalship at this school in reestablishing PBIS, getting some of those important structures in place, talking about discipline data, visioning, doing some dream school setting, you know, about what it is. And a lot of it was about we need to have the climate and culture of our school place where it sounds like that people wanted to be staff, students. Right. You could walk down the hall when I first got here and I would notice like staff wouldn't say hi to other staff members in the hallways. Or, you know, you walk by one classroom that had an assistant was kind of like the holding room. And if teachers didn't want a certain student in their class for whatever reason, they just got sent there. They bypassed administration and just went there. And so, you know, that's the part we wanted to get fixed first. But then, you know, thinking as a couple of the months went on towards the end of school, I was like, okay, so I I don't think PBIS is the only answer. And a lot of my research that I've been doing in my doctoral program was, okay, so we know PBIS works, but what else can I layer in there to really foster relationships? Because relationships are broken or they were very negative relationships, you know, from teachers to parents, teachers to students, teachers to teachers, and of course, teacher to admin. And I thought, well, I've been reading and doing all this research around restorative practices and, you know, specifically circles. It's like, wow, wouldn't it be neat if we could try that? And the only experience I had with that is my class project. I had to do a restorative circle and record it. But, you know, I think this is the piece that maybe with having solid PBIS implementation and layering restorative practices as part of our core instruction with behavior, maybe that's the glue that we need. And so, you know, I had no idea if this would work or not, but needed to do something and something different, something to get the staff excited about again. Let's talk a little about your implementation. So... We know in education that we are very good at having lots of shiny objects to try to implement, then they don't stick, right? We're struggling with that implementation science piece. So how did you go about implementation? Because you're sustaining now. I mean, in that world, you're really sustaining. So 
Talk us through that beginning implementation. We know that if you're going to try implementing any new initiative, you have to get staff invested in it. But in order to do that, they have to see the connection to what they want and what they currently have. So that summer, we did two days of worth of professional development before teachers came back. And half of one of those days, the first day, was dedicated solely to understanding the why and how it meets our needs. And so it was very intentional and, you know, had to get the staff, okay, I see this, you know, I'm feeling this because if I just tell them, you know, who are you, you're, you're a principal, you might be gone in two years. They had to see it and they had to feel it. Like they had to be, feel it in their heart that, okay, yes, I like this idea. And if they didn't, if they all looked at me and said, no way, I'm not doing that, then we wouldn't have. Because you know how it goes when you're in leadership and you try to force something on folks. Sometimes, you know, that's the necessary approach, but it's not the wisest approach if you want something to sustain. As the principal of the school, what did you do to your master schedule or your fidelity checks of this? How did you ensure this was going to happen? You think about, you know, what what are the barriers that teachers or staff would perceive? And it's like, one, I don't know how to do this. And two, I don't know when I'm going to do this. And am I going to be an island on my, by myself? We definitely had two days worth of training prior to school starting. And that was whole staff, non-negotiable, right? And we also developed in a plan to what happens when the non-certified staff, the hourly staff, they couldn't come in over the summer, so I had to make sure I had a training day for them as well. And, you know, building into how we train new staff as they come on board. So we did the training, and then I had to carve out time because teachers, and I will even go on a limb and say elementary teachers especially, they are juggling all these subjects. I mean, they wear so many hats in the day, and there's never enough instructional time. And so if I were going to say, okay, I want you to figure out when to put this in your day, they would have closed their doors on me and not let me in. So I carved it out in the master schedule because as a leader, if I want something to happen, I need to make it visibly important. And so one way to do that is to put that in the master schedule and protect it. The first 20 minutes of our day, everything is all hands on deck. So our special area teachers are in circles, our EC teachers are in circles, our teacher assistants are in circles, admin is always in a circle during that time. You have interruptions those first 20 minutes. So you're saying you're protected, but stuff happens that first 20 minutes. That's like the bus comes late. We have some kids starting to enroll or a parent desperately wants to talk to you. You're saying you protect it, but is that the reality of what was experienced? I would say 85% protected then. <laughs> well, so it's just like, how did you do that? Like, how did you say like, okay, this is what's happening in, in the standard there? The only thing we can do is the things that we can't control, right? So I cannot control late arrivals by students, either parents bringing them in or the late bus. I can't control that. So we just develop a procedure for when that happens. Okay. They get their breakfast, they bring it to the classroom, they set it on their desk, and then they just quickly slide into circle. And then they can come back and eat. Or that was probably the, the, the biggest interruptions, you know, if a student came late. But the way the classroom teachers develop the norms within their circles, as soon as they saw somebody come in late, kids automatically said, come sit right here. And they did. Uh, so it was very inclusive. Unless a parent was bleeding or on fire, I asked them to wait until circle is over. You know, and not a parent, you know, they come in and they want their, you know, needs met. And they, if they need to speak with an administrator, 
I definitely want to honor that because that's, you know, part of my role and they're just as much a part of our community, but I also need to honor that circle time. So unless it was like a huge situation, I tell the secretary, I'll be there in 20 minutes when circle is over. And that was pretty much the standard practice. And I would say rarely I got called to say, no, we need you now. So it sounds like as you're building your implementation as a leader, you're finding out what barriers are going to be there based on real-time elementary school that all these contingencies are happening. You set procedures and protocols in place that allowed for students to still participate. That's what I'm really enjoying hearing and being included when they walk in and still get their, in this case, nutrition needs met and really sound like a welcoming experience for students if they were to not be on time due to lots of different reasons. Right. Students, you know, they like that predictability in their schedules, right? That kind of calms them. And so if they come in, you know, and have a really hot morning and, you know, mom and dad were turned up and uh, or they're late and they didn't eat and they're still wearing the clothes they had on on Friday, if you were to step into the classroom and immediately start with instruction, the kid's going to shut down or it's just instruction is not going to happen for anybody sometimes. And so it really provides a way for students to come in and they get into that safety of the circle. And we do mindfulness, we take mindful moments, and it just kind of gets everybody centered and focused so that when circle time is over, everybody's ready, everybody's focused, everybody's calm, and we can start instruction on a good note. I'm hearing you talk a little bit about changes you may have seen. So what did you notice different about students? We'll talk about like students, staff, those interactions that you talked about. It wasn't like you said, I believe earlier, it just wasn't the, the healthiest of relationship spaces throughout all the different variances of relationships. Mm-hmm. What did you notice changing in those groups of people in the interactions? Folks were friendly. Friendly. They were smiling in the hallways. You know, um, kids, like compared to when I first got here until now, you know, you walk down the hall and the kids just have, you know, scowls or they're being reprimanded for not walking straight. Now it's, you know, the kids are smiling. They say hi. You see them holding hands. It's just like the superintendent, assistant superintendents, other visitors. They say when I walk into the school, they feel it. And some didn't even know what it was. <laughs> they just said, wow, your school feels good. And it's hard to explain unless you're in it. But then just that feel between then and now is remarkable. It is absolutely remarkable. Teachers say hi to each other. I hear laughter. They're more supportive of each other. You know, the students have more understanding of how their actions impact others. It has transformed the relationships from all stakeholders in our school. You know, I can only imagine as a superintendent or leader of a district in general, thinking about, all right, I got this one school over here doing its own little thing, being circles, like they need to jump on these other initiatives too. Did you get any pushback? And if so, how did you navigate that? Initially, you know, I was told I was put here for a reason. And that implied, and maybe I misunderstood the implication, but it was, let's clean house. We need to find the teachers that aren't performing and we need to take care of it. And I like to always look at the positive, right? That's just part of me. And I was like, but these teachers, they teach their hearts out every day, all day long. They're not bad teachers. 
there's so much other stuff going around that distracts away from the teaching and learning. And so I would just smile and nod and say, yeah, I, I know I'm here for a reason, right? Knowing what I wanted to do. <laughs> but it was that I f- did feel a little pressure of, I need to get test scores up and I need to get them up now. But you know, I know, and pretty much everybody that in a school would say, change takes time, right? You plant the seeds now and then you see the fruits of your labor a couple years down, right? It's not going to say, oh, we implement PBIS, bam, everything is hunky-dory. One of my favorite analogies I say is, you know, if a Titanic wanted to miss the iceberg, it would have, but it had to start turning three days ago, right? You can't just say, bam, (laughs) oh, let's miss that iceberg because they tried it, it didn't work. And that's how I had to remind myself to kind of quell it and say, okay, no, stay my course because it's not going to happen overnight. But I know that if it's going to sustain and make a difference, we have to take it slow, slow and steady. One of their favorite line is, you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's what you really, you've got to do Implementation is definitely something that takes time with intentionality. And you, I'm not hearing you say that you've changed anything within your curriculum or your instructional practices in the world of traditional academics. Sounds like we're addressing actually teaching, experiencing social, emotional learning competencies. Mm-hmm. But what happened with your academic, with your data? That was pretty remarkable. So the first full year of implementation, we didn't see anything remarkable, right? It was kind of the same achievement data, discipline data actually showed an increase, but that, that was because previously the data was not accurate that was being recorded. So after the first year, we really didn't see any big changes. And so at that end of that first year of full implementation of circles, my data didn't show anything great, right? And my discipline data was showing a little worse. And so he point blank asked me and said, what are you going to do different? And I said, nothing. (laughs) You said to the superintendent, you said, so your data hasn't improved and actually discipline data looks worse. And you said to the superintendent during a cabinet meeting that you're going to stay this course. Yes. I have research to back it. I know it's what our school needs and I didn't want to layer on any new pressures, so to speak, as far as instruction, because I wanted to make sure we got this right. And so we did another year of just intentional training and support around continued with PBIS and restorative circles, started dappling in restorative conferencing, but I wouldn't say that was anything that was a game changer because we were just practicing that, I would say. But then at the end of the second year, data was like, woohoo! Overall, our school met growth in every area. My subgroups met their targets. We had huge increases, like in reading, and third grade was up 4.8%. Fourth grade was 10.9%. Fifth grade cohort was 6.8% up. And the same numbers for third through fifth math, up 6%, 10%. You're saying that, I mean, these are increases that people dream of having within their school. Yeah, like fifth grade science went up 11.9%. It was our highest uh, math and science scores in the last eight years. All content areas met that expected growth and my fifth grade reading exceeded expected growth. And so they went from a negative three to a plus 4.4. So if you think about that range of growth was amazing and we didn't do anything different. 
too, I kind of have chill bumps when I hear those numbers. I mean, not saying that our standardized tests and assessments are the end all be all the measurement at all of what students know and can be able to do. But what I hear that students were able to, it sounds like actually grapple with the content mm -hmm. and actually have instruction because they were in the classroom. And then it sounds like for a general term, they were happy. Yes. And that's just talking broadly, which means if you're in a place where it's like, oh, I'd like to be here, mm -hmm. I'll think I'll stick around. Yeah. So like our overall school growth, K-5, the previous year we were at 59.6% of our students met or exceeded growth. And that year, 77.9% of our students met or exceeded growth. You know, which just shows our kids, our Title I kids, those kids that, you know, not everybody believes that they can achieve. They're achieving. They can do this. You know, it just takes somebody to engage them and care about them and have that sense of belonging. Like you are a part of our community. We need you in our classroom. So gaining that sense of belonging, I do want to talk a little bit about staff. Do you, as a staff, engage in circles? Yes, we do. And I have a large staff. I probably have around 65-ish um, certified staff members. So they're the ones that would attend faculty meetings. We tried whole staff circles. And, you know, that takes a little longer because everybody has a turn to speak. But like within the first five minutes, folks were crying and hugging and just because somebody was listening to them. And so while the whole staff circle isn't as easy logistically or time-wise to do a lot, we do in our PLCs, every PLC starts with a circle. Yesterday, I pulled my beginning teachers together and did an orientation training, and we started with a circle. That's just part of how we do business here at my school, and that helps them connect and really fosters those relationships. So now we've entered this space of collective trauma in our society. Mm -hmm. We have a um, global pandemic. We have significant civil unrest, and we're continuing to fight for equity and really, I would even say equality in a lot of circumstances for our black and brown citizens. And so we've got this dualistic integrated pandemic going on, all experiencing collective trauma. And then the schools, you know, shut down all of that. And now it sounds like you're reopening in a virtual space. Mm -hmm. How has this implementation of restorative practices and maybe circles specifically, how did staff take that to the virtual space? So last year was all asynchronous, but nobody wanted to give up that circle time. And so they used technology or different applications to still facilitate circles. So the teacher would pose a question or students would always do their check-in every day. So some use like a Google survey just to check in. Students would record themselves on Flipgrid. Students could go into their class Canvas page and then they see all of their peers that they miss and love, you know, their videos checking in. And I just loved perusing them and listening to the kids. So there was a lot of different ways that they still held circles asynchronously because we didn't want to lose that connection. Going into this year, going to be a little different because our students are going to get synchronous instruction throughout the day, Monday through Thursdays. And we built in, again, uh, circle time into our synchronous schedules. So the first part of every day, just like before, is going to be our circle time. And the platform we're using is Microsoft Teams. Before we went with just 
Microsoft Teams, you know, Zoom can do this, like all of those are great. The biggest thing is we wanted to be able to see our kids and interact with them live. And so we adapted our training. We just trained our new hires a couple days ago. And so we had half of them participate virtually. And then I had the other, there's a small group of them were spread out social distance in our cafeteria with our laptops. So they could also practice in person so that when we do come back as the school and have kids in the building, it's not that different. And what we noticed was it is pretty much the same. You still get the same connections minus the physical touch virtually as we do in person. So when we pass the talking piece in person, it's easy because you just hand the talking piece. Virtually, you know, we just say, I pass two. So if I had the talking piece and I was talking, then I was done. And, you know, Amy Jablonski raised her hand or was waving in the screen. And I could say, okay, I passed to Amy. And then Amy knows it's your turn to speak and everybody else is quiet and we listen. We do check-ins and I just can't wait to see again, those circles in action. And all of our non-classroom teacher staff are going to be in circles. I can't even predict the long-term outcomes for these students and staff feeling like they belong at a place they spend the majority of their time. One thing I did forget to mention is we've also invited parents into our circles. In the years past, we would have days where our student services team would set up parent universities. So we'd offer once every other month a time for parents to come in and learn something. So it might be, we're going to learn about bullying and how to recognize bullying and report bullying, especially as from a parent perspective. Um, and so what we decided we do is we would have parents come in and they would join their child's classroom for circle so they could feel and experience that greatness. And then we went to a separate room with just the parents and we did our own circle with parents where they each got to have a voice. And that was really powerful for a parent to come in who may not speak English very well or really know much about school and you know doesn't know all those the jargon for schools but just to come in and speak from their hearts and to be listened to that was amazing and so yeah the parents you know do we send them resources you know you do circles at home here's what you can do and here's we taught them all about how to do circles because there is a specific format but yeah, I forgot to mention the parents and family members have been awesome. Well, and throughout this conversation, from what I heard was that the only cost it sounded like that you had, fiscally, dollar-wise, were the books that you use. So, you know, we hear people saying, oh, it costs so much money to put this in place and it's not sticking. Um, here, what, you're, what you've done is taking what, you know, we've learned in good leadership classes that Maybe sometimes we didn't think was attainable, but you're making it attainable and you're, you know, showing folks about solid implementation planning, matching up visioning with a solution that actually matches and then staying the course, like staying the course uh, to do this work. We say every year is everything that we need to make our school amazing, we already have. That's really our people resources because we can choose to make it best place ever or we can choose to make it the worst place ever. That's in our control and just really having that focus and how staff can really say, I choose positive. I choose a nurturing, caring, compassionate environment for myself and for my students and for our families. And really, that's what we did. You know, that was a choice. And fortunately, my staff chose we're making this that great dream school. And you gave them permission to do so. I want to thank you so much for taking time 
out of your very busy day in this unprecedented time in our world, if you will. And the way that you've built the climate and culture and engaged your staff is something that here at SWIFT, we wanted folks to be able to, to know about and to know the great work that's happening at your school and the fact that you did this with a lot of belief and a pay attention to implementation and focusing on the one thing in, in our schools that we tend to put to the side because we say I don't have time. So I truly commend you and I think very highly of you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Amy. Thanks for listening to Swift Unscripted, a podcast produced by Swift Education Center. We invite you to comment on what you heard and to visit our website, swiftschools.org, where you can find more stories of school-wide transformation and resources to start your own school transformation. Swift Education Center is a research and technical assistance center located at the University of Kansas.